So we're continuing our look at the book of Jonah. We're entering into chapter four. Uh, And just a quick recap of where we've been over the last four weeks or so. Uh, The word of God comes to Jonah. The word of God comes to him and says, go to Nineveh, that great city uh, full of your enemies and go there bringing the word of God to them. And Jonah says, I do not want to do that. And so Jonah moves in the opposite direction. And what we see is uh, just what the beginning of the expression of both God's sovereignty and God's compassion coming forward. That's really what we see throughout the book. God sends a storm and, uh, and chases Nineveh, or chases Jonah, and uh, then God sends a fish and, uh, and grabs Jonah, and then God appoints this fish to spit him out, and then uh, this compassion and sovereignty uh, that, that God gives to Jonah, we see he also gives to Nineveh. When, when uh, Jonah finally does go, he uh, relents from the disaster that was promised them and their repentance and faith. And uh, that's what we looked at last week, just more expressions of God's compassion and sovereignty. And at that point in this story, that might seem like a good place for this whole thing to draw to a close, right? Like end on a high note. Everybody's happy. There's a, there's a party going on in Nineveh. And, uh, and everything's awesome at this point, right? Except not everybody's happy. Uh, in fact, we have one very unhappy camper in Jonah, and that's chapter four of Jonah is this examination of Jonah's uh, real unhappiness with all that the Lord has done. And I think as we look at this, we, we will explore uh, some of the deeper reasons why this book is just so valuable to us as God's people. We are examining Jonah, Mr. Grumpy McGrumperson this morning. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Uh, Father, we see that as you labor with Jonah, I pray that you would labor with us. Uh, Help us uh, to see your goodness, to rejoice over it. Uh, Incline our will toward yours. Work in our hearts this morning as we look at your word. Let it do surgery on us in all the ways we need it to. And would you help me, your servant, to love these friends well, earnestly, and to serve you uh, during these next few moments, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So not long ago, I came across this. I'm not kidding. The Atlantic, September 2014, has an article titled, The Origins of the Anger Face. Isn't that a great title? Like, who wouldn't want to read that? Uh, it turns out that there are studies going on that uh, multiple... Not one, multiple. Multiple studies uh, that were at least going on at that time that were looking at 
the, the expression of the anger face. Like, what does, what does a face that's angry look like? And, uh, and not just that, but the evolution of the angry face through the years. That apparently, it has changed over the course of time, or at least that's what they were looking at. And the author made a really interesting observation. Um, she said that uh, while we have, we all have these uh, gestures, uh, things that we do. I'm, don't worry, I'm not going to do any right now. But uh, we all have these gestures that express our, either our approval and affirmation, or our uh, or our disapproval, or something rude to other people. Like we all know those. Well, apparently, the same gesture can mean something completely different on another part of the world, okay? That's very fluid, okay? This, something that might seem uh, encouraging here is deeply offensive on another side of the world. The, the anger face is basically universal, okay? And despite there being multiple studies, it really hasn't changed over time, okay? You know it when you see it. The lips thin, the nostrils flare, the chin goes out and up. It, it is the same everywhere. And I tell you all that because I want you to go ahead and imagine Jonah's face while he is saying these things to God. He is really angry. And you can picture what this probably looks like. So go ahead and picture it. And the, the fact of his anger isn't a mystery in this text. The truth is, is... Uh, is, uh, or the question is, is why? Why is Jonah so angry about what God has done? Well, like, like in all cases of anger, it's very complex. And every time you see an expression of anger, you know that there's a rich subtext behind it. There are layers upon layers of things lying right behind, right underneath that anger. And so what I want to do is dive into some of these layers, maybe pull back a couple of layers and look at just what is going on in Jonah's heart that leads to such an abrupt uh, eruption of anger directed at God. So here's what I want to do. I want to start broad and just look at what he resents. Looking at what Jonah resents, the next is what he's preoccupied with, and then finally what he is confused about. And confusion might be uh, not the right word, but, that, but, but, uh, but we'll see when we get there. Might not be strong enough. First, what does Jonah resent? Well, in short, Jonah is angry that God has given compassion to the city of Nineveh. He is angry about that. Angry, he is so angry, he's angry enough to die, is what he says. And what he's doing when he says this is he's calling something good evil. That's, that's what he's doing. This use, the, the, the translation that's in front of you, it's a fair, tra- it's a good translation. But it, mis- it says, uh, it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. Uh, what he's doing is he's actually calling it a great evil. Literally, it reads, it was evil to Jonah. A great evil. And we've talked a lot in the last few weeks about um, <clears throat> the nature of the Assyrians and their relationship to the Israelites and how they were brutal enemies to each other and how hard it must have been, right? How hard it must have been for Jonah to hear this call to go to Nineveh because they were such enemies. And, and the way this story plays out is really beautiful. I mean, you see, you're seeing a picture in chapter 3 of 
both personal and corporate renewal, uh, repentance, uh, professions of faith. I mean, it's just amazing. You, you would think that this would be an amazing point of celebration for Jonah, that he even got to be a part of it, and many would have. But, but for Jonah, he doesn't experience this as a celebration. What he does is he experiences it as a crisis. Why? Well, um, <clears throat> the, the only reason you hate good things being given to other people is because you hate those other people. And Jonah hated Nineveh. And we can't make bones about that. He hated Nineveh and he hated uh, the people there. He did not want God to give them compassion. What he wanted was for God to give them judgment. That is why he said what he said when he went into Nineveh. What did he say? He said, you got 40 days. 40 days and this whole place is getting overthrown. He liked saying those words. And there's a lot behind this, as you might imagine. At this point in time, Israel is paying tribute to Assyria. They're they're basically paying a tax to keep Assyria from invading them and taking them over. We're about 20 to 40 years away from when Assyria finally does just that. Comes in and sends them all into exile. And it's really interesting to look at the words of Jonah when you compare them with uh, some of the words of other contemporary prophets at the time, Hosea and Amos. If you read Hosea and Amos, you're going to see that they strike, they're, they're similar, but they strike the same note over and over again. They criticize God's people for their practices of injustice, and they call them to a renewed faithfulness in, in God. That is what they say over and over again. That's the note they hit. That they, that when they speak about the people of Israel's deepest needs, they're talking about their practices of injustice and their practices of faithfulness to God, okay? But not Jonah. If you look in 2 Kings chapter 14, you get this, like you get this little insight into what Jonah's advice to the king during a time, during a time like this was. And Jonah's advice was to extend your borders and strengthen the military. And and you could make the argument, and many have, that Jonah was less concerned with the faithfulness of God's people and more concerned with national security and strength. That's what Jonah's concern was. So he resents God's compassion because he resents the people of Nineveh. And according to the passage, Jonah saw where all this was going. He saw where all this was going from the very beginning. Verse 2, I love verse 2. This is not supposed, I think this is, uh, this is um, not a little bit funny, is, what, is uh, this expression of anger that comes out of Jonah. Uh, when we're angry, we say the silliest things, right? Okay, so this verse 2, he prays, is this not what I said when I was still in Israel? I just knew it. I knew this is why I made haste to flee. I knew you would extend compassion to them. I knew it. I knew you were going to do this, is what he says. Because I knew your character. I knew that you were a compassionate God. That, that you would turn and relent from this disaster. Imagine his anger face as he's saying these things. And he knew. He knew that God is a gracious God. And that he's merciful. And that he's slow to anger and abounding to stead, in steadfast love. Except I don't think he said it that way. I, I think he said it like, I think he was whining. 
He, he is complaining about God's character. I just knew. I knew that you're a gracious God. I know that you're a gracious God and merciful. I know that you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I just hate all these great things about you, is what he's saying. And listen, you know those times when you have thoughts, and they're great thoughts, at least to you. They're in there, and you're thinking, and these great thoughts need to be heard. I've got some thoughts, and people are going to hear them. And you're convinced of these thoughts internally, and then you start to speak them out loud. And and it's even worse when somebody is there to hear these thoughts, and you realize when you say them just how crazy you sound. Am I the only one on this? Yes, I'm the only one. Is that the... I actually don't think that's what's going on in this passage. Jonah really and truly resents that God is a compassionate God when God's compassion flows in ways that Jonah doesn't like. He resents God's character. And you might be sitting there thinking, looking at Jonah's self-righteous indignance, thinking, that's interesting. Man, it sounds like that guy's got a problem. But I don't know what this has to do with me. I'm really glad that all my internal conversations, private conversations with God have not been recorded and, uh, and put in a book for pastors to look at and talk about for a long time. Glad that's not me. But what does all this anger have to do with me? I, do, I certainly don't identify with this. And that'd be a good question to ask. Let's pull back another layer. Let's look at what Jonah's preoccupied with. As I've said before, um, <clears throat> Jonah, this book, not the person, the book, is a literary, well, he, you know, as a person, he might be a literary wonder too, okay? But the book itself is truly a literary wonder. Like every, every word is perfectly chosen that communicates uh, something really insightful. And there are two, two little clues that I want to mention here that you see in these verses that give an insight to just what is going on in Jonah's head and his heart. The first is what I'm calling I and my, okay? I and my. And that is to say that Jonah is speaking in the first person singular a lot in his words in verses 2 and 3. When um, you, I, I said, my country, I knew, my life. It, it kind of comes through in the translation. In the translation, I think you see... Uh, uh, seven, five or seven times, something like that. In the original Hebrew, I or my, those words are used nine times in two verses. That's making a point. I or my, nine times, two verses. What's Jonah preoccupied with? Here's another one. Verse two, Jonah says, this is not what I said. The literal translation of that is my word. Was it not my word? And if you remember, you'll know that the word of the Lord is this major dominant theme in the book of, of Jonah. 
uh, since the beginning. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. The Lord spoke and the fish spits him out, right? The word of the Lord is moving. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. It's mentioning all this. The word of the Lord reaches the people of Nineveh. The word came to the king. The word of the Lord. It's the word of the Lord moving over and over and over again. And Jonah is like done with the word of the Lord at this point. It's time for some of his words. What's the point that's being made? Jonah is missing the joy. There's a party going on right now. He is missing the joy of what God is up to and the joy that he's invited to because he is so utterly and completely preoccupied with his own good, his own self, his own desires, his own vision for what his life should look like, how he wants God to move on behalf of some and against others. All of these desires are standing in the way of his joy. You know, when you look at this, it's not hard to see shades of uh, the older brother and Jesus's parable of the prodigal son. Uh, You probably heard it before, but if you haven't, you can find it in Luke chapter 15. It's one of Jesus's most uh, famous parables, and the character of the older brother really feels like Jonah. As the story goes, uh, it's the younger brother who goes to his father and says, I don't don't want to be a part of this place anymore. Uh, I don't want to be a part of your family. I want to take my inheritance and I want to detach and go away to a faraway place. And, uh, and that's a deeply offensive thing to say and to do. It's basically saying to your dad, I wish you were dead. But that's what he does. His father lets him go. And so he takes his, his, uh, his inheritance, goes off to a faraway place and lives in just about, or indulges in just about every kind of debauchery you can imagine, and then he goes broke. And then the the text is beautiful. It says, and then he came to himself. And with all the courage and humility he could muster, he decided he was going to go back home. And he was going to throw himself on the Lord's mercy, or on his father's mercy. And he had a speech prepared. I know what I'm going to say. And he shows up at his father's house. And before he even gets a word out, or I think he said a few words, and then and the father's like, no, 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 we're throwing a party. Like the father cleans him up and he puts the family clothes on him and the family ring. And he says, this is a cause for celebration. And everybody's happy except for one person. The older brother. The older brother is brooding. And why is he brooding? Because there's nothing about this younger brother coming home and being restored to the family, the family be putting back together, that makes this older brother happy. Why? Because the older brother was dutiful, right? The older brother was faithful. He stayed when the younger brother left. He gave himself to the work of the family. He was devoted. And nobody threw him a party. You know what strikes me about both the older brother and Jonah? Is just how alone they are. And that's what self-preoccupation does. It isolates us. I mean, Jonah is constantly alone. 
He's alone on the bottom of a boat. He's alone on a fish. He's alone. He's surrounded by people in a city, but now he's outside the city and he's alone again. And I think that might be the point. Listen, I, I would bet that if we were scratching our heads about Jonah, we might be able to identify with him a little bit. Because, listen, I don't want to be overly assumptive on this point with you, um, but is there anyone here that can't identify with this isolation and frustration and anger and duty? Is there anybody that can't identify with that? Is there anybody that can't identify with the frustration of not having your life work out the way that you want it to? Like... um, the, the, every cartoon I watched when I was a kid said, told me that the object of my life, the path of joy, is the path of self-fulfillment. Every single one of them. If there's an exception, you could tell me, okay? I'll listen to you. But that was the mantra that I think we all heard as we were growing up. And, and, and listen, I don't think that mantra has changed. Just look at every cartoon that our kids are watching too, right? I mean, that, that, that's like in the water. It's inculcated in our world, and it's hard not to believe. The, the path to our, to our joy is a path of self-fulfillment. And, and don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that self-care isn't important, okay? Healthy self-care isn't. You can ask my counselor, okay? Healthy self-care is important. There is a place for healthy ambition, and God does create us to be desiring people, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about self-preoccupation to the extent that we fashion our whole lives around what we perceive to be our own happiness, Uh, The need to make something of ourselves to the extent, because it's so hard to believe, that God is making something beautiful out of you. And the irony of all of this, Jonah's full of ironies, but the irony of all of this is that that does not lead to joy. It leads to pressure and anxiety and more isolation. Because the other side of that coin is that if you're not making something of yourself, if your life doesn't look the way you want it to, then, then you have no one else to blame. You do you, we say. But the other half of you do you is I hope that works out for you. And it's hard to build meaningful friendships or community or purpose in a you do world, you do you world. I don't think there, it, like it's a quantifiable reality that anxiety is on the rise, and loneliness, isolation, is on the rise. The Surgeon General has been talking about this for years, uh, but it was 12 days ago he declared that, uh, that it was a public health crisis and that it's actually more dangerous than, for you than smoking. And listen, if this is you, if you feel like I'm just beating on a drum, okay? Uh, if this is you, listen, this is what I want you to hear. You don't have to be alone in this room. I am well acquainted with what this feels like, and many others are too. You might feel like you are alone. You do not have to be alone in this room. And we need each other. We do. But more importantly, I want you to see 
what God is up to in this passage. Where is God? Jonah is praying a self-righteous, revealing, angry prayer. And he's leveling it at God. He is blaming God. And where is God? God is with Jonah. He is with Jonah. And he's asking Jonah questions. And he doesn't correct Jonah right away. I think, is it good that you're angry, right? That's such a great question to ask somebody when they're angry. And so listen, what I want you to hear is there is nothing you can pray that's too offensive. There's no sin you can confess that's too revolting to God. There's nothing he hasn't heard before. There's no part of you that he doesn't desire to make whole. If he can hang on, if Jonah, McJonah, McGrumpy Pants, son of Amittai, can't wear God out, then you can't either. I promise you, you can't. And so this is a deeply spiritual text that is speaking about our relationship to the interpersonal relationship to God. And I think one of the things it's saying to us is, please go to the Lord in prayer. Please go to him. Bring these things to the Lord. And I think what you'll find is a loving father who rejoices when you come to him. And an older brother who doesn't begrudge you coming to him, but actually rejoices too. He, in fact, he's your savior and he calls you his friend. And an earnest helper in the Holy Spirit who is inclining your will toward his and shapes you. The triune God has a shared commitment for who, not just who you are, but who you're becoming. Let's pull back another layer here, and uh, I promise I'm going to be quick. I know it's Mother's Day, okay? Um, But the next layer I want to pull back, because this, I think, lies right at the root of what we're talking about. What he's confused, what Jonah is confused about. That might not be the right word. Myopic might be a better word, or lost. Lost might be uh, a better word here. He's lost because behind all of this resentment and self-preoccupation is a deep fear regarding the embrace of the purpose that God has for them. Because, because Jonah and the Israelites have a purpose, and it lies right at the beginning of their formation. When God sets Abraham aside and commissions him to be his, God, his people, he says, go to a land that I will show you, and I will protect you, and through you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. You are to be, God's people set apart in the world, are to be a light to the Gentiles. That is the purpose. And Jonah knew that as well as anybody would have. And that's the purpose statement. That's their purpose statement. And it's our purpose statement. And when you look at this, uh, you see um, verse 3. What did Jonah know about God? He knew that God was gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That, 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 that is who God is. And their joy was to be bringing this truth about God to the world. And do you know where those words come from? Uh, we, we, uh, it was our assurance of grace earlier in the service, Psalm 145. But listen, they're found in Exodus 34, this beautiful story where Moses says to the Lord, let me see your glory. And God says, I can't show you my glory. It'll consume you but I'll hide you in the cleft of a rock 
and I will pass by. And when he does, these are the words that come forward. The Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That is the clearest revelation of the living God to his people. And their job, that is the clearest revelation until Jesus himself shows up on the stage. And their job was to take the revelation of who God was out into the world. That was the purpose. And this is the last irony I'm going to mention. Because the irony is, the more we're bound to God and mission, and and his purpose, the less preoccupied with ourselves we become, And the more we are able to celebrate what God is, the more we have eyes to see. And the more we are able to celebrate what God is up to in the world. I was really wrestling with sharing this story with you, and I'm even wrestling with it right now. But now I feel like I've committed myself to it. Maybe I needed to do that. I I shared it with Matt earlier in the week, and Shonda told me yesterday I needed to tell you. But uh, it really is my own... Jonah moment, because the, 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 the conundrum for Jonah is he wants to receive God's mercy, but he doesn't want to give it. And listen, we, the more we celebrate the mercy that we've received, the more we will enjoy giving it. And <clears throat> this was a different church. It's not important where or who. Um, but the what of it was that I, I, was, uh, I was being lied about. And uh, this isn't my opinion. This is just what happened. Um, I was being lied about. There was somebody there that didn't like me and uh, was spreading rumors. And it was just awful. I mean, it was awful. Uh, and I was so angry about it. And this is one of those rare cases where, you know, that really is the simple story of it. Um, <clears throat> and uh, my pastor, who knew the toxic effects of resentment on the human heart, said, told me that I needed to forgive her. She didn't ask for it, um, but he told me that I needed to forgive her for my good as much as anybody's. Uh, that was the conversation. And it wasn't until he said that that I realized just how much I actually enjoyed being angry. That I was nurturing an anger that felt self-righteous and indignant, that made, that, 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 that made me feel completely right and her completely wrong, and I didn't want to let go of it. And I really wrestled with that. And I don't know. I don't know if it was a voice in my head or an audible voice, but I heard, and I don't know, maybe it was the Holy Spirit speak. I don't know. But what I heard was, how much do you really treasure the mercy that you've received? Listen, the, 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 passage, behind, the, the, the passage behind here isn't how we fix ourselves in our anger, okay? It almost assumes that we can be angry and, and resentful. It almost assumes we can be preoccupied with ourselves, like we're all prone to that. Okay, But it's this call to treasure the grace that's given to us in Jesus Christ. The, the call that's given to us is to treasure Jesus 
and then to bring that treasure into the world rejoicing in what God has promised he would do. Amen. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Oh, would you make your grace wonderful, ever wonderful to us, such that we would be shaped and your joyful people in the world. I pray that you would hold us in faith and shape us as you help us to remember well. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.